Well, I feel that we should try to kind of catch up to where we are right now. We're in Joshua chapter 11, and I know that many of you weren't here last week. And this is actually part two of a sermon that I started last week in this chapter of Joshua chapter 12. We've been studying the book of Joshua for those who have not been here. Um, It's an Old Testament book. It's a history book. It's um, near the beginning of the Bible. And what we found studying this history is that one of the major benefits of having a history, a divinely inspired history book, is that we get to see what God's character is like as it's lived out in real situations, real history. Because His character never changes. So while we don't read ourselves into this book of Joshua as though we're Joshua, we can see who God is clearly. And that has, for me, proven to be very valuable. Um, strengthening our faith, just seeing how he interacts with his people. So uh, last week, we started talking about our hearts. Um, And we're going to read the verse that that launched us into talking about that in a moment. But we talked about two things that biblically we see about our heart. Um, It's not the muscle that pumps blood through our bodies. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about our very core, our identity. When the Bible mentions the word heart about people, it's talking about the why you do what you do. When someone asks who you are, you're tempted to say, you know, where you work or, you know, what you do family-wise. But who you are isn't what you do or your situation. It's what's in your heart. And I know that sounds kind of Disney and touchy-feely, but it's true. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at the externals. He doesn't see Matt Broadway here wearing a suit saying things, he sees what's in my heart. So using myself as an example, if I'm up here preaching from sinful motives to be liked or to be powerful or something, he sees that clearly. So this is a reminder to us, who we are is not what other people see, it's what God sees. And that's our heart. The second thing we talked about was that the heart is, it's the true battlefield. We tend to battle our life's problems in circumstantial things or, you know, when we're having emotional problems, we start there. The real battlefield is in our heart. And we saw that in Joshua chapter 11, verse 20. We've been studying this whole book, and it's been battle after battle after battle. This is a story of God bringing his people into the promised land and purging out the the evil people who were living there. We've talked about that in previous sermons, trying to understand God's justice in this. But there's a lot of battles, and we've seen that God has been sovereign, in control over the outcomes of each of these battles. Some of the battles Israel won, some of them they lost. The ones they lost, we can see that God was doing that to purge sin from them as a nation. We've seen that He's in control of these things. And then here in verse 20 of chapter 11, we're struck by this verse that plunges us beneath the surface of what's going on on the battlefield. And I'll read it to you. It's uh, Joshua eleven twenty. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. We have to wonder as we read Joshua, why do these people keep coming up against God's armies when the armies have been pretty much unstoppable? And we see here the answer, it was of God, it was of the Lord to harden their hearts so that they'd be destroyed. 
It's a troubling verse. So I, I thought it appropriate to spend a couple of weeks studying the heart, studying what it means for God to work so controllingly in the heart of man. So we're moving right along with that today. And um, we have to ask ourselves the question. We have to be honest as we read Scripture. A verse like this makes us wonder, how were these people responsible if God hardened their hearts? If it was of the Lord to harden their hearts? How can we change our hearts? Because we talked all last week about how that's what God cares about. Heart change. That you love Him. That you love others. That you, in your heart, value Him. Not just that you do stuff. Not just that you come to church and do religious stuff. So the question that has to be on our minds is, how? I get that. I believe Scripture. But how? How can I change my heart? And I told you that there's 957 some odd references to the heart in the Bible, which is more than I have pages in my Bible. It's all through here. And the answers that come are basically two. How can you change your heart? You can't. And you must. Those are the two answers that you get in the Bible. I mean, it's frustrating, isn't it? You cannot change your heart, but you must change your heart. All those thousand references to the heart just sort of bounce back and forth between these two. There's this tension. You have to change what's in your heart, not just your actions. But you're incapable of changing what's in your heart. So this is what we're going to try to untangle today. And I'm going to do my best. There are so many scriptures to talk about in this. And we are going to talk about a bunch. Um, but I thought it would be good to start kind of back at the beginning. Um, in, in Genesis chapter 8, 21. This won't be on the PowerPoint. I'm just going to read it real quick. This is God's... Diagnosis of the human condition early, early, early on after things fell apart when uh, the first sin happened. It's Joshua chapter 8, verse, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. His diagnosis of mankind is that the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's how he summed up the heart of mankind. The intent of our hearts is evil from our youth. That's a pretty stark diagnosis, isn't it? David understood this too. In Psalm 51.5, David, the man after God's own heart, the one who killed Goliath, did all those, all those amazing things. Here's what he says in one of his, uh, his prayers or his songs that he wrote. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. This idea starts to shine forth from the Bible that we have a hereditary heart disease. We're born with sin in our hearts. We're born with messed up hearts. And I think if you'll think about it, you'll see that this is true. As much as we want to think that we're naturally great people, look at children and tell me that with a straight face. Because nobody, my brother's here. My parents did not teach me to steal your baseball cards and then lie about it as though I didn't when I was a kid. My parents didn't teach that to me. I never saw that happen anywhere. Where did it come from? My heart is just messed up from birth. I was brought forth in iniquity. And I see it in my children too. I mean, you know, I, I didn't teach Elias to do much of what he does. And much of what I've tried to teach him to do, he doesn't do. 
But I've never taught him to, to disobey or to do these things. It's, it's natural. It's a hereditary thing. We're born into it. And even Lillian now, at a younger age, I'm already seeing. And, you know, I'm not bashing my kids or anything, obviously. But I think we see this to be true, don't we? We're born into it. Left to ourselves, our hearts are just messed up. I want to read another passage to you. Jeremiah 17, 9. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah is a prophet. Prophets are men who, who, through whom God speaks. Uh, usually in the Old Testament to his people. So he's talking through Jeremiah to his people. To his people. And he says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else. And is desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is just a general statement about mankind's heart. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's deceitful. All this advice, follow your heart, that's ridiculous. If we all followed our hearts, we would be worshiping ourselves, loving ourselves, using everybody around us. Because left to ourselves, our hearts are screwed up. And we love ourselves. We don't care about God. We don't see Him as valuable. Our hearts are inclined to Him naturally because we're fallen. This is our state in which we're born into. And it's not natural to care about other people. Why else would my little girl Lillian, she doesn't even walk, she doesn't talk. But if somebody takes something from her, she gets really angry. And if somebody has something she wants, she grabs it. And cannot fathom why it's not okay for her to grab something out of somebody's hands. And neither can Elias when he does it. I say, no, so you can't take stuff out of Lillian's hands. And he's like, why? I want it. <laughs> like, well, good argument. I concede your point. He can't understand why it's not okay to live totally for himself. But we were never designed like that. So we're just messed up from the start. Our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately sick. Think about what we as humans do to each other. What other animals in the world treat each other like humans do? Just take advantage of each other, lie to each other, hurt each other, murder each other, rape each other. Something is wrong with us. Something is desperately wrong with us. Suicide always hovers around the top ten leading causes of death. How messed up are we as people to just end our own lives like that? Something is wrong with us. And the Bible is pretty straightforward about it. We are born this way. We're born into sin. Because of Adam and Eve, we have that, that family resemblance in our hearts of them. When they sinned, it fractured everything. It fractured everything. And every generation, new people are born dealing with the consequences of that. So, basically, let's not overestimate how good we are left to ourselves. Which I think we tend to do as humans. <clears throat> let's not overestimate how good we are. Because the problem is you look around, you know, you look at the headlines, you look at the celebrities we worship, you look at the, the entertainment that we love, and you look at what we do to each other and you see that the problem isn't just that we do bad things. It's that we are bad. 
We don't just do sinful things. We are sinful people. And though, you know, the world pressures us not to think that way. No, you know, you're a good person. You're, you didn't do what that guy did, so you're a good person. But compared to God, no, we're not. We, we were meant to be holy like God is. And we're so far from it. It says our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately sick. Who can understand it? And this I definitely find true from experience. Our hearts are so messed up, we can't even understand what's going on in there. Let alone control it. I mean, have any of you ever just felt like, why? Why do I feel like this? Why am I doing this? I know this is wrong. I don't want to do this thing. I don't want to feel this way. I can't even understand what's going on in there. Our hearts are incomprehensible to us. And they're definitely out of our control. And I think you'll find this to be true too. Anyone who has dieted can attest to the fact that we can't control our hearts. Our hearts are where our desires reside, our motivations, all those inner core things about our identity. You can't just change your desire from little Debbie cakes to, I don't even know, what's healthy? <laughs> Carrot sticks. You can't just change what you desire. Have you ever tried? I guarantee you, most of you have tried to, you've known, you know, what I love here, what I desire is not good for me, it's hurting me. So I'm going to change, and you can change your behavior, but you cannot change your heart. It's out of your control. You cannot change what you desire. And yet, all through Scripture, like we talked about last week, all of God's commands have to do with our hearts. When Jesus came, he took all the commands and took them deeper to the heart. He said, yeah, don't commit adultery, but even if you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. And you're like, well, how can I change my heart to not desire to look at a woman? And he said, yeah, you've heard, you know, don't murder someone. That's true. But even if you hate someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. And the people he was talking to must have thought, well, it's easy not to murder someone, but I can't control my reaction of hatred towards someone who's a really terrible person. The commands go beyond our ability to, to do on our own because we can't control our hearts. And so instead of being able to, instead of, you know, the big two, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said that sums up everything. If you can get those, you've got it all. I think it was Martin Luther said, he summed up everything like this, love God and do what you want. Love God and then do what you want and you'll be okay because if we could orient our hearts to love God, then all the other aspects of our life would work out. Because we would think about decisions in terms of God and conversations in terms of God. But we can't do that. So what we do is we set up all these systems of legalism to try to correct our behaviors, all kinds of accountability structures, discipline plans. Because if we can't change our heart, by golly, we'll change our behavior. And we will be good people by sheer willpower. And we go on like this, and that's what the Pharisees did. I talk about the Pharisees a lot, because I think that of all the sins in the Bible, that's the one that I'm most often tempted toward, is looking religious. Trying to look like you're good, even though what's on the inside is not. I want to read you something Jesus said to the Pharisees. Just listen to this. Jesus is so kind and so loving and so gentle. <laughs> 
Listen to Matthew chapter 23. Starting verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Read religious people. Trying to be good by what you do on the outside. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. In other words, you're tithing even out of your spice rack. But yet you're ignoring the real weighty matters of what God wants from you. 24. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They would so carefully make sure that they never did any little exterior sin. You know, they would not do any work on the Sabbath. Today's day and age, they, they probably would not drink one drop of alcohol ever in their life and judge you harshly if you ever did. They would strain out these gnat-sized little sins and then they would swallow the giant, disgusting camel of pride and living for themselves and not loving God and not loving others. 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and indulgence. Have you ever gotten something out of the dishwasher and you thought that it had run and it was clean? The outside looked clean and you pick it up and you pour your coffee in there or whatever and then you drink a couple sips and then you see all around the inside someone had had like ice cream with peanut butter or something that's all still in there. That's who these people were. They look great on the outside. If they were here this morning, they'd be wearing a black suit and a red tie, and they would look great. <laughs> but that's not what God looks at. He looks at the inside, and he saw that they were totally unwashed on the inside. They didn't even care anymore what was going on on the inside. They looked fantastic to everybody on the outside. They were disgusting on the inside, clean looking on the outside. 26. You blind Pharisee, first clean up the inside of the cup and of the dish. So that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. But inside, they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This just... Punches me right in the gut every time I read it because, you know, you go, I mean, I know you guys haven't followed my path in life, but you go to seminary and you, you're around ministers and you pick up the sort of vibe, you know, that, that you give as a minister and the way that you talk. And I mean, you can, you can learn how to look like a great minister. I mean, you can learn like how to contort your face so you look really caring or nice. <laughs> you do, they don't teach classes on it, but you pick this stuff up and then. Before you know it, you've learned how to look great, and you've ignored the inside. And God doesn't care about any of the outside. He cares about what's on the inside. You know, what's on the inside counts. That's, I don't think that's in the Bible, but it's true. So here we are. What do we do about this? If we're not supposed to just create barriers so that we don't actively sin in our actions or our words and if we're not supposed to just medicate our emotions but we're supposed to work on our hearts what do we do I want to 
turn to another prophet. This guy's name is Ezekiel. Again, he's a prophet, so what he says is actually God speaking through him to God's people. I want to read two verses of this. I think this presents the tension beautifully, clearly, probably more so than I have so far this sermon. Ezekiel 18, 31. What God says to his people. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Well, I wish I could. But let's flip over and see something else God says in the same book, through the same man, to the same people. Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There's a, there's a picture here. And I never do this, but I brought visuals. And hopefully they're going to work for me. There's a really good picture here that I want to illustrate to you. But first I'm going to play with this Play-Doh. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I guess not a funny one. <laughs> the picture here is our condition I was talking about. That the Bible lays out. How we're born. One of the... Um, uh, characteristics of this disease that we're all born with is stone-heartedness. Naturally, this is what our heart is like. This is a rock for those of you back there. This is the natural condition of our heart. Unbending. I, I cannot mold this thing into anything. This is its shape. This is what it is. I can't do anything with it. This is what is at our core. And so... You know, we, many of us go to church for years and years and years and years and years. And then one day we look back, like, man, I've been at church for decades. And we look down, we're like, God, my heart looks exactly the same as it always did. I haven't changed a bit. I still love the same junk that I've always loved. I still don't care about God. I still don't love other people. The Bible says we're hard-hearted, naturally. So God's promise to us, I'll grab my towel so I don't scrape up the pulpit here. Come out of my paycheck. <laughs> God's promise to us is if we will look to Him, recognize our total inability to change who we are. We can change our behaviors, we can change our externals, we cannot change who we are. If we will recognize that and just give this thing up to Him, and say, God, I want to claim your promise for a new heart. I can't do anything with this. His promise, this is what Jesus came for. His promise to take this from us and give us a heart of flesh. Don't worry, this isn't actual flesh. It's Plato. <laughs> but he's promised to give us a soft heart. A soft heart that can be molded, that can be changed. It's not a perfect heart. We're not going to be perfected until Christ returns. But after you, that one time, you give this thing over to God and say, 
And remember what this represents too. This isn't just, you know, okay, I want to get out of hell free card. This is your desires, your motives, your plans, your identity. We spent a lot of time last week. The heart is who you are. It's giving it all to God. It's putting it all in His hands. And He gives you this. A heart that He can work with. And then every day from there on, you don't have to give up your whole heart anymore. You've got a new heart with new desires, new motives, new plans, new identity. This is what the Bible talks about. New creation. New birth. It's not, it's not, it's not. Become a Christian, clean up your act, and be a good person. It's become a Christian, give it all up, die to yourself, and God gives you everything anew. And so with your new heart, that like I said, is not perfect from the start, but it's moldable every day for the rest of your life. You submit this new heart up to Him and say, here it is. Do what you want to with it. This thing is yours. And through whatever it is, mainly his word, but circumstances and everything, he, for the rest of your life, is molding this new heart to look more like Jesus. That's the promise. So how do you change your heart? Well, you can't. You cannot change your heart. But you must. And the way to do it is through faith in God, through Christ. Every time I say that phrase, I feel like, oh, they've heard that so many times, they're numb to it. But it's the only way to say it. It's what the whole Bible is about. And so many churches, so many Christians miss it. And you know they do because, this is just fun to play with while I preach. <laughs> you know they miss it because it changes everything when you get it. It changes how you pray. Look at how David prayed. You know, David got this. We saw earlier how he said, you know, I was born unclean. I was brought forth in sin. He got this. Look at how he prays. He prays, Lord, cleanse my heart. Lord, may the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. He prays heart prayers. He doesn't pray, Lord, I'm going to name it and claim it and get a Mercedes. Give me a Mercedes. He prays heart prayers. It changes how you pray when you pray for others. You don't just pray for them to get out of uncomfortable situations. You pray, Lord, if it's your will, get them out. But in the meantime, do something in their hearts. Work on their hearts. Mold their hearts. It changes how the Bible looks to you. David said that he treasured God's word in his heart so that he wouldn't sin against God. He recognized that he wouldn't stop sinning against God just because he tried really hard. It's through treasuring God's word in there that God molds us. This is God's... Oh, what does what what sculptors use? Chisel, I guess? I don't know. That's not good. You don't have to chisel a soft heart. I should have thought this through before I started talking about it. God's Word is his, it's his hands, basically, to mold your heart into what He wants it to be. You know, we read it and we want, like, to-dos. We want, okay, if you want, if you want to take care of this problem in your life, do this, do this, do this. And He doesn't really give us that. He gives us information about who He is and how life works. And as we keep taking that in... We keep treasuring it in our hearts. That's what he uses to change us and mold us. It changes, um, well, sticking with talking about the Bible. There's a verse in Hebrews, I won't flip there for a sake of time, but basically it says that this is like 
a scalpel and a sword at the same time. It cuts straight down to your heart. It works directly on your heart. And, you know, most of us don't trust that. You know, when we have our problems, we don't trust that this is going to work, that God's going to work through this. But that's His promise to us. If you come to this with faith, He will work on your heart. In Acts, the very first sermon preached, Peter, you know, the the screw-up, Peter, (laughs) who always messed everything up, he preaches the first big sermon after Christ uh, is resurrected, comes back, and then ascends. Peter preaches that first sermon. And afterwards, all these people heard it, and they, does anybody remember what they say? They say, we are pierced to the heart. What should we do now? That's what I want from these sermons. I, I do not want people walking out of here thinking, that was neat. He used Plato today. <laughs> I want you guys walking out of here thinking, I am pierced to the heart. What do I do now? That's what God's Word does. It changes how we think about religion. I harp on this all the time because it's very important to me. We so want to make Christianity into a religion that we can do. The stuff that we can do. I think partly because we have found that we can't change our hearts. And somewhere along the way, many of us give up on really even trying to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And love our neighbor as ourselves. Instead, we pour ourselves into stuff. Programmatic stuff. So we don't have to be who God calls us to be. We can just have have the church do what we think God wants us to do. Is that making sense? If, if we could be who God wants us to be, we would do that stuff naturally. And it wouldn't be burdensome. It would be our lifestyle. I talked to somebody just this week who, I don't think they'd mind me sharing this. I'll keep it anonymous as I can. They were feeling stressed because, because of their particular station in life, they were unable to participate in a particular ministry of our church. And I guess they were feeling stressed about it. They felt like they should. But as we talked, it became clear that for them to rearrange their lives to participate in this particular ministry of the church, they would be neglecting their own spiritual health and their families. And they wouldn't be the kind of people God wants them to be. They'd just be doing stuff. I don't want that for our church. It changes our attitude, too. It's the last thing I'll say about this. There can be a lot of pride. You, you hear a lot of Christians talk, and it's just a lot of prideful stuff. You know, like Tiger Woods, his affairs get broadcast to the world, and the Christians are like, look at that. That idiot. I mean, look what he did. Look who's talking. Jesus was very gentle with prostitutes and sinners. He was rough with the religious people who pridefully looked down on others. Because that proves that you don't get it. We have nothing to boast. This is a gift. Man, by the grace of God, it's a gift. We didn't earn this. It's all God's doing. Pride will melt into humility and grace for people. And I, I preach this. I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching really at myself. And you're hearing me. Because this is where God works on my heart all the time as a pastor. And I, I think that this is applicable to you too. I hope it is. So my time is up. I'm going to draw this to a close. But I want you to think about who are you? Where are you with this? Which one of these is at your core? Have you in your life ever felt like God was changing your heart, your desires, your motives? Have you ever felt like His hands are actually changing you? Or have you, you know, been a church person 
and try to grow in your disciplines of doing stuff. But all the while, you're just trying to stifle the desires that are coming from your heart. That is stone and it's messed up. If this is you, and I really suspect that this is some of you, you need to just give this thing up to God and say, I'm going to claim your promise through Christ that you'll give me a new one. I'm done trying to clean up my act. And I can't. So here it is. Everything I am, my plans, my desires, my motives, my identity, yours. Maybe you do have a soft heart. Maybe there's some hard spots in there where you have not submitted to God's word and you know it. Maybe some behaviors you've tried to just sort of stop, but you've not truly submitted yourself to his word. His word may say that you need to confess something, something embarrassing. I don't know. I know for me, the times that I have tried to ignore God's word, tried to keep my heart away from his hands, have been the times that I would be embarrassed by being obedient. Because I'm prideful. That's just me. I feel that maybe if I'm honest with you, you can be honest with yourselves. I'm hoping that'll work. Maybe it's time for you to start back just every morning you wake up and say, here it is. I'm going to read your word not because I think it's going to be make me acceptable to you, but because I want your hands all in my heart changing me. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're concerned for someone that you love and you've never quite known how to pray for them. Pray for their hearts, not just their circumstance. Maybe you're just really confused right now. And that's okay too. I can understand. If you're confused, my advice, be pouring scripture into your mind. This is the source of clarity and wisdom anyway. So I want us to have kind of a prayerful closing to this service. Um, I'm not too far over. Someone in particular told me I better not go over today because they had lunch plans. (laughs) I want us to close our service prayerfully. We're going to sing a song. Um, You know, I'm not huge on altar calls because I want what you do to be genuine. I know for me, when I know that people are looking at me, it's hard for me to be genuine in front of God. But if it's genuine for you to come pray up here, please come address these things now. If it's genuine for you, you would like for me to pray with you, I'd love to. If it's more genuine for you to pray where you are, you know, that's, you know what's going on in your heart. God will work with you there as much as he will up here. But you need to address these things in your lives. And, and so do I. Actually, let me pray for you right now before we have our last song. And then we'll sing. Lord, it is hard for us to understand these things, matters of our heart, but your, your word tells us it will be. Uh, so I just I pray that you would reveal our hearts to us now. Help us to see where we stand with you. Do we have stone hearts? Do we have soft hearts? Where, where are we, Lord? I pray that you would just work mightily. What sprang this whole study in Joshua 11 was that we see that you are sovereign over our hearts. So please, we we pray for your grace this morning. Change our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.